book of Colossians, as we continue our study there, it's important to remember that uh, Colossians was not uh, divided into chapters. This was one long letter. And um, letters are important in history. I think of, uh, you can learn a lot about people by the letters that they write. And I think of two of our presidents that really give us a richness of the country in which they were governing or that they were building uh, because of the letters that they wrote back and forth to their wives. I think of John Adams and Abigail, and they've got just troves of letters from Abigail to John. And uh, it's just amazing. Of course, he's our second president and uh, just amazing the influence that she had on him. And I remember one thing that she wrote uh, uh, to him when he was, they were in the middle of the Constitutional Convention, writing the Constitution. And she said, John, don't forget the women. <laughs> it's one of those interesting uh, little things that, uh, does that make her a woman's liver? No, she just said, hey, listen, a bunch of guys there, but don't forget that. And, and you can imagine just how much influence that had. And he was one of the major writers of the Constitution. In fact, the Constitution took a lot of the, uh, a lot of its body from the Constitution that uh, John Adams had uh, been the primary um, writer uh, for the state of Massachusetts. And so uh, it's just a real blessing to see that. And then we see with Harry and Bess, and there's books on Harry and Bess. I've got a couple in my library. And uh, just, uh, and if, uh, they write back and forth and just the struggles that he had and how that uh, she, he depended on her so much. And uh, what a blessing it was to just see how that scenes, uh, what, uh, how, that, how much influence women had on my life because of where they were and so forth. But um, the same way here, with, as you really read the book of Colossians, uh, it's a very personal letter. He's writing to these people and he's sharing his heart. And so read the, the Colossians, especially the shorter books. You could read them as if it's a letter and not, okay, chapter one. Well, sometimes uh, the chapters split up a good thought. And so let's go back to chapter one of uh, Colossians and we'll pick it up there and then we'll read on into chapter two. And so we see, um, he says, to this end, verse 29. Okay, what's that? The, the, that is because he's talking about Jesus, the riches of the glory of uh, the, uh, the mystery to the Gentiles back in uh, uh, verse 28, 27. In other words, the Gentile church, and I'll stress this over and over again. I'll be, we'll be preaching on Isaiah this morning. Don't ever put the church into the Old Testament prophets. They did not know anything about the church. If you understand that, then you could understand that you know more about the, the revelation of God as far as the end times than even Isaiah did. Because we're going to look at Psalm 40, that, or uh, well, actually it's a psalm because from chapter 40 through, through chapter 66 is one, one big poem. It's a poem, so it's a, uh, it's a psalm. And uh, there's all kinds of beautiful catchphrases all through some of the most quoted passages in all the Bible. Uh, I've got pictures of eagles and so forth, uh, and uh, people buy me, or I think my wife's got, got, got me a picture, and I've got things on my, 
in my bookshelves where there's, you know, wings of eagles and because of just that very majestic thought that comes from the book of Isaiah. Um, but he didn't understand anything about the church. But so when he talked about everything, it was exclusively about Israel. What was God going to do? And he did not understand chapter 40. My, he's talking about the Messiah is going to come. War is going to be over. But then in chapter 53, the great poem about the suffering Messiah. And oh, that just throws all Jews, even today. In fact, I've got uh, one of the things that, uh, that the uh, Friends of Israel, as well as the Chosen People, both those ministries we had in here. And one of the key passages that they will use in evangelism of Jews is Isaiah 53, the suffering Messiah. But that is so difficult for a Jew to understand. And many, between the Old and New Testaments, the writings of the rabbis, they thought there must be two Messiahs. But of course, uh, John was even saying, are you the Messiah or do we look for another? <clears throat> so he was, he didn't know. And yet the Lord told us, he said, that the least in the kingdom of heaven, that's you and me, know more about the plan of the ages than John the Baptist did. And yet he was the greatest man ever born among women outside of the Lord Jesus himself, of course. And so uh, we see that uh, the, this is very important for us to get the idea now that this church age that we're in, the age of the Gentiles, uh, we know it began at the day of Pentecost, this institution called the church. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will, not I have, but I will build my church. And we see that all through the book of Acts, the development, the birth and the development of the church. And once it's developed, that's the end of the story of Acts. It just leaves us hanging because all he's telling us is, of the beginning of the church. And so now we see that he's saying to this end, now I've, this, this great um, revelation that God has laid out to me, and we've talked about that last week in the book of Ephesians chapter two and three, how that uh, the Lord now even today is using the, uh, the church to teach angels his manifold or his multifaceted wisdom. Can you imagine that? There again, I just can't believe that. Gabriel and uh, whoever else is up there in heaven, that surround, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and God is saying, just watch what I can do with those people. Or look what, how I'm affecting. I, I, to me, that's one of the most phenomenal things in all scripture. And so uh, this church is God's ordained institution for this age. We do not replace Israel. There's a replacement theology out there that says we are Old Testament Israel. No, we're not. God is still going to deal with the Jew, the Jew and with Israel, just like Isaiah contemplates. He's looking forward to the Messiah coming and planting his feet and ruling and reigning in Jerusalem. And that's going to come. And so, but during this time, we see that Paul says that God has given us a great revelation. And he says, um, in verse 27, let's go back. He says, to them, God will to make known what are the riches, talking about the Gentiles, he got through and make known the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Now he's talking to Gentiles here. So God's will is for the church to teach this great mystery, this great, it's no longer a mystery, it's a revelation. A mystery was something that God hid until he revealed it. And so it was a mystery but now it's been revealed, 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, folks, my hope is built on nothing less than what? Jesus, blood, and righteousness. And so he's my hope. Uh, my faith has found their resting place, not in device nor creed. Um, so we see that it's through the Lord Jesus Christ that is my hope and glory. Uh, him we preach. Okay, here we see. This is my whole purpose of talking to you. I've got a great passion and we see him developing that. Actually, we already saw it in chapter one. But he says, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or mature in Jesus Christ. I dealt with two men this week and I'm wanting to bring them into the wisdom and knowledge and into the walk with the Lord. I talked about one that I had breakfast with yesterday morning and, uh, and so forth. And now another man that, you know, that I'm wanting to really get growing in the Lord. That's what we want. And Paul says, this is what I want to see with you, that uh, we present you know, mature in Jesus Christ to this end. Okay, this is my purpose of writing. I also labor, striving um, according to his working which works in me mightily. Now that word labor is toil to the point of sweat or exhaustion. That word striving is a word that means struggle. He struggles. Now where is Paul at this time? Paul is in prison. He's idle physically. He's not you know, sailing the ocean blue. He's not uh, walking the Romans road. He's, not, he's, he's stuck in prison. And yet we see that spiritual struggle that's going on. And this t tells us about, and notice it works in me mightily. Uh, it's interesting that Paul used this uh, in his life as a source of power. Okay, I can't do anything but pray for you. And we'll see this in a moment. But what, what's the best thing we can do for people? Is to pray for them. So it's interesting that prayer is one of the easiest things for us to do, but the things that we struggle with the most. Is it not? How many of us spent five minutes of concentrated prayer this past week, let alone an hour? Remember the Lord Jesus, he said, can't you even pray with me for an hour to his disciples? We all have problems with that. And so the spiritual struggle, the spiritual toil is there. And so one of the biggest uh, struggles that we have in life, yes, is over sin and all so forth, but it's the struggle of just hanging on to God. And again, that's why I appreciate Psalm 119 so much. That fella is going through 165 verses of struggle, isn't he? He's wondering, Lord, just keep me close to you. Lord, don't, don't let me fall. And so, but it was a concentrated prayer to God. Lord, Lord uh, uh, you know, lead me. And so we see that Paul is saying, I struggle here. Now, of course, we know that over in Philippians, or back in Philippians and the prayer, he says, they of, of Caesar's household uh, greet you. In other words, Paul was winning people to the Lord right there in Rome. And he's writing to the Philippians. But he says, I really, God, God works in me, but I struggle for it. Prayer is a struggle. So it tells me something. When I have trouble really concentrating and praying and sometimes feeling convicted because I'm not praying enough, what, what's happening in my life? The same thing that happened with Paul. I struggle to pray. Don't we? Oh, I wish I could say, oh, I just, 
I spent 40 hours in prayer this week. I mean, I was here at the altar. I have a special bench. I have a crucifix in front of me. Uh, Folks, I don't care what you have in front of you. Uh, You spend five minutes on your knees and your mind starts wondering, who won the ball game yesterday? Oh man, I still got to work on my car. Oh, my so-and-so doesn't like me anymore. Do you have any problems like that? We all do. So it's a spiritual struggle. And you know one person is going to be struggling with you, and he wants to win. And who's that? Satan. Satan is a spiritual. I mean, he would love to get us off of because he doesn't want us to pray. He doesn't want us to really spend time. And that's the reason as a church, uh, as a pastor, uh, how do I get my people praying and yet... uh, you know, and yet if we keep them so busy, then they don't have time to pray. But then if we pray, then all of a sudden we become lazy because all we're doing is daydreaming. Isn't that interesting? So how do we, this is a spiritual, this is, and is there an easy answer? No. If it was, then Paul wouldn't tell me that he's struggling and that he's toiling to the point of exhaustion in prayer. So prayer is hard work. There's a book uh, I read about a guy named Leonard Ravenhill. He was a a 50s and 60s man, but he talked about, uh, uh, in that book, about about how that uh, men who pray pray usually age faster. And he was talking about because of justice, the physical struggle to really pray. And so, you know, so when I pray for my people, uh, it's a struggle. When you pray, for your family, when you pray for that loved one. Uh, I could think of loved ones that I have that I pray for. And, but then what do I do? I've got some grandchildren I pray for. Well, I pray for them, but then I start trying to figure out how, I can, uh, how can I solve their problems. You ever do that, moms? <laughs> yeah, we all do, <laughs> yeah, because, oh, why, you know, why, uh, why should I pray to the Lord when I can think about it, you know, <laughs> or that I could dream about it or whatever else? And so, Lord... And we hold our kids up, and we hold our family. We loved our loved. Uh, we hold our loved ones up, but it's a struggle to keep our minds on the Lord and not what we can do. And so, and, that, and so we see that Paul has got that same thing he, because the Lord is working, but he realizes that God is working through him mightily. I want to sense God's work through me. I love it. I told told you a few months, a few well, it's been about a month ago or a little longer now, but when a guy walks up to you that you visit in the hospital and you're praying for us for salvation. But he walks up to you and he said, he wants to shake my hand because uh, the doctors tell him he no longer has cancer and thanks for praying for him. I mean, you're going, okay, that's great. Now let's get him in church, you know, but, it's, but there's still, you know, it's easier to pray for a person for their sickness than it is for their soul many times because we can see the outward. And so again, that struggle that I have for that man and that I want to see saved. So when, I, when we pray for the church, we, we're in a spiritual struggle for people. How I praise the Lord for uh, you who visit and the shut-ins and all the good things I hear about you and all. But just, uh, I love that, uh, the, that God is working through us. But uh, how, you know, how much does he work through our actions and how much more does he act through our prayers? And so, uh, again, that spiritual warfare that we have, this life is not an easy life. 
there will be a struggle in prayer. Now in saying that, notice he says that God's working in me, but now let's notice what he talks about. This is what I, the treasures that God, now God's working in me and all the blessings that I'm getting. But oh, that's what I want you to have. Isn't that the way life should be? And so we see he begins now, God's working in me and I'm praying for you and there's a struggle. But notice this for this cause, I'm doing this. But he says, for I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and for those in Laodicea. I'm praying for you and I want you to know it's a spiritual struggle. I love it when my home pastor, he'll be 96 in February. But he calls me up every once in a while and say, I'm praying for you every day. Every Sunday morning, I got you on my list. Man, that's good. You know, I love it. But uh, it's a struggle. And I never will forget the first time I ever went to a deacon's meeting, he just called me in. He said, let me show you how to do it and all this. And uh, he got his back hurt the day before. In the first deacon's meeting I ever went to, my pastor was laying down flat on the floor with his feet up on a chair, talking to his men around him. <laughs> You know, so that was the first time I'd ever been to a deacon's meeting. But, uh, but God greatly used that man for over 50 years, and he's still using him in my life. And he'll call me up and say, you're the first person, first man that grew up in my church that uh, I ordained as a pastor. And I was, he went there in 1953, and I was ordained uh, 25 years later. And he's been, he, he, and I went back for his retirement party when he, he hit 50 in 2003, and now that was 20 years ago. And so, you know, but it's just, just so good to know that you got people that love you and that are praying for you and spend time and toil in doing so. And, and so he has great comp, but Lord, if he does that for me, can I do that for others? Can I do it for you? Can't we really pray for each other? He said, I want you to know what great conflict. There's that struggle, that striving, that, uh, that heartache that conflict that I have for you and for the church at Laodicea. Now, remember, these churches were more of the ritzy churches, and he knew the worldliness that was going to come into them. And remember, 30 years later, a generation later, the kids that had grown up in Laodicea, what did the Lord say? I wish you were cold or hot, but I want to spew you out of my mouth. You know? So Paul saw the dangers that Ephesus had, of course, what did he say? To, what did John write to Ephesus 30 years later? You've lost your first love. You got all the doctrine, but you've lost your first love. So it's a struggle to keep growing and developing and ministering in the grace of God. So it's not easy. We, the, the moment that we take our foot off the gas, the moment that we say, well, we've arrived, then that's when we start going downhill. So there will always be a struggle. Uh, and when we give up the truth, now, that doesn't mean that we just say, oh, my, uh, I, you know, I'm just going to develop ulcers. No, we want to see the victories along. And that's what, what Paul was wanting. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. If God be for us, who can be against us? And he saw the victories, but he also saw the struggles. Isn't that the way it is in life, mamas? You cry and laugh at the same time. Isn't that the way it is as a dad? Oh, you praise God for, oh, look at these kids. They love you. But then you see the problems that they're facing. And so life is a struggle. It's got its blessings, but it's got its heartaches. And so I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and for those who are Laodicea, 
for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. I've never visited your churches. That their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. Oh, that's what I want to see in that church, in your churches. Is that, first of all, I can encourage you along the way. And that your hearts will be knit together in love because there's all kinds of isms we've been talking about out there that are going to try to divide you. So how can you stay together and attaining to all the riches and of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God? Now there's a mouthful again. So he's saying the riches of full assurance. Remember what we talked about? Understanding is the why. Why is God? Why did God say this? And how does it apply to my life? The knowledge is the what. You know, that's what does God say? And the understanding is why did he say it and how does it apply? And so I want you to know with assurance of understanding, uh, the, the knowledge of the mystery of God, there's that word, that revelation that God has given us through the church, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So should we not be gold diggers? Uh, I I think that might be a term that can be used the wrong way. But should we not be miners uh, of God's grace? I mean, all the things, notice he says there, all the treasures that are hidden. It's like, you know, when you, uh, that uh, whenever the uh, Jews would have Passover today, uh, they would hide a little piece of leaven for the children to find. Did they want the child to find that, to get rid of it? Yeah, because it brings joy whenever they find it. Well, God puts little nuggets out there, little pieces of grace, a little, I don't want to say Easter egg because that's, uh, that was kind of defiled the whole idea, but the, but, but the concept is there. There's all kinds of hidden things that God wants us to, to find. Some of them are going to be easy. They're going to be low-hanging fruit to mix metaphors, and others are going to be really got to dig to hunt and find them. And so he wants us to know oh, what are the, all the hidden. I love it whenever, and I, so, I like it the other day uh, uh, when we were having our men's prayer time after church. He said, uh, Rob was saying, um, you know, how do you come up with these concepts? You know, he was talking about the what and the why. He said, that makes it so simple. I said, well, it didn't come very simple to me. It's been 40 years and it's, you know, it's one of those things where, I, oh, well, that's beautiful. You know, I hadn't thought about that and to share it with you. And then all of a sudden, how do you know that? Well, because it took me 40 years to find it, you know. So, so there again, there's always something to find, isn't it, in Scripture. But it, the great thing about it is uh, you can make it easier for others if you'll share it. That's the reason communion is so, so vital. Uh, I want people to know what I know. I want people to know the love of God. I want people to pass me in their knowledge of the love of God. Some of you know God in ways that I will never fathom. Some of you, mothers and fathers, you know, you've had experiences that I haven't had. And God has revealed himself in a special way to you. That when you talk to me, it's a blessing because, oh, I can use it. Uh, like uh, they, they say down south, 
That'll preach, you know. It's one of, oh, there's a concept. There's an illustration, you know, whatever. Because God teaches each one of us and the little nugget that he gives you or that blessing that he gives you and then we share it with others. Listen, oh, that's what that means. And so all of a sudden it just opens up a whole new area of life. And so we want to know, let's go uh, digging together. Let's find things out together and be able to say, this is what God taught me. Now, I don't want to hear about a vision that God showed you and that he was at the end of your bed pouring a pitcher of water on your feet uh, and all that. That's, uh, you know, I've had people come and want to share their visions with me. I said, well, that's great. That's a good dream. But uh, where is it in the word of God? You know, I tell me, give me the, you know, the God is not talking about that. He's talking about what we can find through his word. Psalm 119 again, all the the depths of the riches that are in his word. Lord, you know, keep me hungering for your word. And not only of what it says, but why it says it and how did it, how it applies to me. And so the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And so he says, uh, the mystery of God. And there again, God is a mystery. Do you know everything about God? No, none of us do. But is God willing to reveal his Wisdom to you if you'll search for it? Yes. Remember the ASK? Ask, and it shall be given unto you. That's a simple one. That's the low-hanging fruit. Seek. That's a little bit more difficult. You have to put out some energy. And knock, and that's when you're really hunting for it. But that's the ASK. You know, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. In other words, revealed to you. And so it takes some work. It takes some struggle. It takes some toil. Uh, so God's not just going to dish everything out to you. Uh, sometimes you have to learn how to dig for yourself. And uh, it's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, you, there are going to you mothers, I guess I'm dealing with this morning a lot, but uh, the idea, it's good for your kid to they always have something on the table, but sooner or later, they got to learn how to cook for themselves. Amen? And so, I mean, uh, and the guys who don't learn how to cook for themselves, uh, they spend a lot of money eating out <laughs> and not really getting what they need. And so, uh, again, it's the idea of um, the, these are all hidden. And now notice in verse 4, now this I say, notice the, personality, the personal things he's saying. This is a very personal letter. This I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Now, Paul was, I think, a little self-conscious about the way he looked. He was probably, from what we understand, probably a little short guy. Um, whenever he went to uh, Galatia, uh, they looked at uh, Barnabas and they called him Thor. They thought, I mean, he was a big, strong guy. And they looked at, or Jupiter, uh, and they looked at... Uh, at Paul, and he was, what, Mercury? I mean, just a small little batty rooster. And so, you know, Paul was nothing to look at as far as the handsome, charismatic type of fella. And so, now I don't think he was self-conscious because he had the word of God, but uh, he says, this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with those flowery, persuasive words. Um, I think of uh, one of the... 
greatest uh, deceivers, um, a couple of them that uh, were very flowery um, in their preaching of the last generation. One was Norman Vincent Peale, uh, the power of positive thinking. And he goes to the word and picks, snatches just enough out of it to make it psych psychologically palatable. But he leaves out Jesus Christ. And then the fella at the uh, Crystal Cathedral builds a great Crystal Cathedral here on earth and he forgets about the Crystal Cathedral that's in heaven. And he led a lot of people astray. I think of uh, Garner's Ted Armstrong, again, another man. Very, I mean, he was the first person I ever listened to on the radio. Man. That sonorous voice and the way he could talk it so convincingly. And I would go home and talk to my pastor again and say, man, this guy makes a lot of sense. He said, now listen, he's a deceiver. And I want you, whenever I'm not, he knew me. He said, I'm not going to tell you not to listen to him because that'll make you just want to listen to him more. He just knew, you know, so he said, but when you listen to him, look for these things. And one thing I found out, he scoffed about the concept of hell. He scoffed about the concept of the total uh, cleansing of sin by the blood. You know, the whole idea. I mean, there has to be a few works thrown in there. Uh, the Bible says, you know, a tenth, that's a tithe. But, you know, uh, Worldwide Church of God, they taught a quarter. You know, 20, uh, 14% or 25%, a fourth of what you have. Uh, now, does that make you a little bit holier? I give more than a tithe. But does that make me holier? No, it's just what, that's what God's laid on my heart. And some many of you do too. And so that's fine. I mean, but there again, that's between you and the Lord. But uh, when I start demanding that if you want to be holy, then you give your whole paycheck, then we got problems. I got problems and you got problems because of me. Because that doesn't make you a bit holier. As a man purposes in his heart. So that's one of those things I pray Whenever the offerings are down, Lord, you know the difference. You know what we need. We need more people, and also we need, Lord, you just to bless your people, both with a giving heart and something to give. And that's why I say to our people, you know, we need rich people around here. It might as well be you. And I say that usually to people that I know are giving. You know, <laughs> so it's one of those things uh, that uh, that God blesses. Now, I don't do it. I don't go out. And like I, and you've heard me say many times, if you feel like it's, you're pressured to give or pressured to serve anything, don't. But if God lays it on your heart, then it's amazing what God can do. That's what Paul's praying for. He says, this I say that anyone deceive you with persuasive words. That guy down in Houston just bugs me to pieces. Uh, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith. So all the hidden wisdom and are the treasures of God, I rejoice to see that God's revealing them to you. But keep on digging. Keep on looking. For you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and build up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So notice all the verbs here, or the uh, 
participles anyway, but he says uh, that we walk in him. Now, what's walk? Let's define it. Walk is a lifestyle. When you walk with the Lord in the light of his word, that means you're putting one foot in front of another and you get to such a rhythm and gait in life that you don't even think about one step in front of the other until you get to a place where you got to watch your step. I, I was talking about that one time and I had a man come up to me and said, you know, Pastor, I'm starting to have problems with my steps and that makes so much more sense to me now just about the walk because I've never had to worry about one step in front of another, but now I do. And so that's what the Lord meant. And so whenever we new people come in, we want to teach them how to walk, but we want to get to the point where that, it just comes automatically. So that's the, the idea of lifestyle. So uh, we walk in him rooted. I mean, you know, your house is built on a rock. You, are, you drive those pylons down into that rock, not into quicksand. You, uh, and so when the trials come along, you're not blown about by every wind of doctrine that Paul talks about. He says you're built up, that's edified. So not only are you grounded and you're deep, but you are now building upon that foundation. And so we want to lay the foundation. We want to get people rooted and grounded in the word. And then we want them to be showing that outward sign, that superstructure, built up in him and established there again, strong, supported. Some buildings are built and they don't have the right bracing in it and so forth. And even though it's got a good foundation, it'll fall apart. Now you get to have the right bracing. It's, a, it's a, an art to know how to build a house. Anybody ever done any framing? Uh, you, got the, you get to know exactly what beam. You, know, you got to know where to put a double beam. You got to know how to, where to put the joists, uh, the rafters. And you got to know exactly how to do that or the whole thing can collapse. And so again, established in the faith, knowing how to build upon that edifice. Established in the faith as you have been taught. Okay, I, and notice who taught him. If he wasn't there, obviously other people from Epaphras and others that he's mentioned have been teaching them these, this, and boy, he, it isn't a great Paul says, you know, I didn't teach you those things. People that I've taught now are teaching you these things. That's the blessing of the ministry. It's when what you have taught, now others are teaching others. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's good to be able to teach. And then it's good to be able to teach to teach. And then it's good to be able to teach teachers to teach. You know, so that's the multiplicity of ministry. He says, you've been taught uh, abounding there's with thanksgiving. There again, <clears throat> we have to be careful that we don't make it mechanical. But thanksgiving, what's one of the key things that God tells us? You're not going to win a lot of people to the Lord with, oh, do you want to get saved? Nobody else will. You know, God's good and you'll just fall. No, they need to see something in us. That light of the world. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto the Lord. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. So the key to our message is, yes, we want the body and the depth of that message, but we want the joy of that message. We're not going to convince other people to have what we want, as Paul says. I want other people to have what I have, 
But they're not going to want it if all I do is talk about the toil and the sorrow. They need to see the joy that comes from the sweat and the tears. They need to see it's worth it. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Do you really believe that? Well, is it worth it now? Is it worth the wait? Is it worth the struggle? Well, sometimes we don't feel that way, but isn't that true in everything in life? I uh, love my kids. I was able to see two of the four um, over the holidays. But I think of each one of those, boy, the struggles that we went through. In the morning, and, and that just, and it got worse from there. <laughs> uh, but there again, was the struggle worth it? Yes. And you know, every one of you can, yes, it was worth it. But it didn't feel like it at the time, did it? And yet, uh, God blessed. And then be able to get up the next morning, you feel halfway bad and, and so forth. Jesus loves me. This and So you sing along with them, although that you feel like, why don't you keep me up all night, you know, or whatever. Uh, tell me a story. And uh, our children, uh, that's one thing that I, I should have done more, but my wife was so good at it that I pretty well delegated it to her. And the kids would sit around and listen to the Bible stories. And guess what? We go to see our grandkids now, and what do they tell my wife? Tell me a story. You know, they want to sit around and listen to stories. But isn't that what God tells us? We're to teach our children and our children's children the, the great blessings of God. The only problem I have is I let my wife do too much of it. I wish they would come to me and say, tell me a story. And so, again, I'm going to start telling stories to my, my twin boys, uh, twin grandsons, and then my two grandsons in Virginia, try to get them early. And uh, because I want them to say, Grandpa, tell me a story. That's, I'm jealous over my wife. But there again, uh, isn't that what we should do? Is tell me a story. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. And so as a pastor, I want people to say, Pastor, tell me a story. Uh, listen, you go to that church, tell me a story. Tell me what's happening. Isn't that what we want? And so Paul says, uh, rooted and built up, abounding with thanksgiving. It's worth it, folks, to serve God. Well, I got up this morning, weather was bad. I was a little, you know, I've, I have problems this time of year, all the way to 18 more days before it's going to start getting dark, light again. Folks, in 18 days, we're going to start having brighter days. Isn't it great? Colder temperatures, but bright, brighter days, you know, or whatever. Went to see Dan yesterday. It was 4.30. I said, man, it's too late to go. I said, wait, wait a minute. It's only 4.30, you know, and it was already dark. And so, but hey, listen, I got up this morning thinking about, boy, it's, it's 7 o'clock and it's still dark. But then I started thinking, I get to go and open this Bible and preach the Word of God. I got a wife who loves me in spite of me. And, you know, I got people that love me. I got, you know, I got all kinds of reasons to praise God. Don't I? Oh, the depth of the wisdom, both of the, uh, the wisdom, the depth of the knowledge of the, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. I mean, folks, uh, when you start thinking God, it forces you to think on the good things. You know, uh, <clears throat> I came to church, I had a warm house, got into a heated car and drove to a heated church, got padded pews, had a donut out back that somebody else brought, didn't even pay for it. 
I didn't pay for it. They paid for it. And I hope they paid for it. But, you know, <laughs> you know, all those things. And, you know, just great to be with God's people. Isn't it good? And guess what? God says he's got all of his angels around us right now, too. That's scary. I'm not going to concentrate on the angels. I want to think, concentrate on him, and he'll take care of the rest. When I start thinking of angels, I start wanting to name them. But only God can do that. Amen? So God's good, isn't he? Okay, so do you want others to have what you have? Do you have the riches of his grace in your life? Do you have the treasures of the knowledge of God in your life? Folks, we got things that uh, most of the world will never experience. And most of the world is on its way to hell unless we reach them for God. Amen? So let's, let's go out and tell people about him. Thank you again, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your blessings upon us. Thank you for the struggles that you told us we're going to have because you tell us in the struggles there's victory. So we want to thank you because the, the, the thanks be to God which giveth us the victory in these struggles through our Lord Jesus Christ. Prove yourself strong, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.